Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. If you would like It's Not About Food podcasts a week earlier and ad-free, please support me on patreon.com forward slash It's Not About Food. For more information about my books, my work, and my body love cards, you can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello everyone, this is Lurley Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast, and today I'm such a great guest, old, 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 old friend, who I just still adore with all my heart, and I'm going to introduce him in just a second, but what we're going to talk about today is when you're suffering from any kind of disorder or problem or coping mechanism, one of the things that really helps to get out of that thing, that hole that you've gotten into, is to go to your creative side and to try to know that you are much more than what's going on in your life. In fact, you're creative and connected to a spirit that if you'll stay in that place, in your creative spirit, in your creative side of your brain, the obsession will stop, the addiction will stop, the sadness and overwhelm will stop. You'll still have feelings, obviously, but you will not have to suffer from them as much if you go to your creative side. So I don't know another person who can represent that better than my very creative friend, George Horner. And so we're going to talk about how do you find that side of you if you don't know you could be creative. I have to say that when I was much younger and knew George when um, I would be very depressed. And he is the one who taught me to go to a creative side. I had no idea that I had that. So it was very good that he was able to save my life that way. Anyway, so I'm going to introduce George and he's going to talk about what up with that. (laughs) So hello, George. Hello, Larley. Nice to hear your voice again, as always. You as well. So tell me, because I know that you've come up with some really heavy-duty stuff in your life, and how did you switch over to making what was happening into a, a creative source? Like, you know, if somebody said something really horrible to you, you would make a painting out of it. <laughs> you know, how did you know to do that? Good question. Actually, I have no idea. To be perfectly <laughs> honest, it's just. I think it's just a survival tactic in many ways. You either wallow in your self-pity or you rechannel it into some sort of 
endeavor that helps you cope with whatever it is that you're struggling with. One of the things I think that you were referring to is something that happened to me years and years ago. And I was still living in Texas and I got a scholarship to go to do graduate work at the University of Chicago, which was an incredible experience and life-changing. But before I left, I had taken all of my art and put it into my father's attic garage and i had hundreds of pieces of neon because i was working with neon back then i had paintings and sculptures and magazines that we had produced all kinds of stuff books and i put everything very carefully into my father's garage and i left and went to chicago went to school and a few years later i came back to texas only to discover that everything was gone it was just gone and i confronted my father and i said dad where's all my stuff? And he goes, oh, you better ask your brother. And I'm like, oh God, my born again, Christian, alcoholic, very problematic, civil rivalry brother, Brown, who I love dearly. We have our issues. And I asked him what happened to all my stuff. And he said, well, I gave you a retrospective at the city dump. And I was like, what does that even mean? I don't understand. It's kind of a funny thing to say. And rather witty and kind of clever. And he said, well, I took all your stuff because you're evil, because you're an artist and you worship the devil. And I'm like, what? No, I don't. (laughs) Why? Because I'm an artist? You automatically assume I'm a devil worshiper? It's very odd. That's that weird born-again Christian mentality stuff that gets so warped and weird. And I said, what does that even mean? He said, well, I took all your stuff. I put it in the back of my truck. I drove to the dump and threw it all away. Oh, my God. I was like, wow. You're You're the evil. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He kind of really just misdirected. He considers himself a very spiritual and religious person. But you don't do that to somebody. No. Especially your own brother. I, I said that years ago to another woman and she said oh no that's exactly who you do that stuff to you do that to your family you know you know because you know you know how to push their buttons you don't do that to strangers so i thought that was very revealing i thought that was interesting so then years later i was just still so angry at my brother just seething with frustration and anger and i was asked to be in a show and it was about dark humor And I thought, oh, okay, that thing that that my brother did to me was actually funny in a weird sort of way, because I would tell people that I gave you a retrospective at the city dump, and their immediate response was they would laugh. And and then they would catch themselves like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but it's funny. And I said, well, it's funny because it happened to me and not to you, but that's (laughs) the nature of humor. You know, that whole golden phrase, whatever that German phrase is, which is the enjoyment of someone else's suffering so that that's kind of the basis of humor (laughs) in a weird sort of way so i I said well let me go deal part of being angry at my brother let me go back to text i went back to text i found my brother and the first thing he did was hug me and he apologized for what he had done and i said why didn't you do that 20 years ago and i wouldn't have to have these feelings so anyway i wanted to do an artwork about it and i wound up making this neon and a number of other pieces are based on that. And just as I was leaving, my brother turned to me and said, oh, George, that reminds me, I saw some trash on a street corner and thought of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was just like another zinger. <laughs> and I made a poster out of that. Yeah. So it's 
what I'm trying to get at is that was a horrific experience, but I somehow managed to turn it around and be creative and make art out of it. So it's a way of somehow channeling a trauma into a creative act. And I think that's what you were asking. How do you do that? And I'm like, you just do it. <laughs> I don't know how to tell somebody else how to do it. You just have to figure out your own way. I made art out of it. Somebody else could write songs. Most great songs are about heartache and heartbreak and drama. Poetry is all about unrequited love and all of that death and just trying to find a way to keep living and find meaning in one's life and not be destructive. And so it's not an easy thing. I think if it was easy, then everyone would just automatically do it. And there would be no trauma in the world. And there would be no eating disorders and there would be no suicides and all of that if everyone knew how to. And I wish everyone did. Yeah, for sure. Well, I have to say that I know that for me, I had to have the permission to do it. I'm not so sure if you had to have the permission to do it, because what I know of you is that you have been creative even as a little person, like my son Clinton was. But you also were a teacher in our lives, too, because you showed Clinton how to draw and paint, and he went off from there. So I think that... Um, well, he me, too. <laughs> and so did you. I mean, I remember, and I told you this many times, and every time we talk, I usually bring it up, is that time when I helped you move to San Francisco, and I drove you and Clinton across from Texas to San Francisco to move you. And on that trip there, we just laughed and just had the best time. It was a traumatic, life-changing experience for you, you leaving Texas and having to start a new life in San Francisco. But it was still, it was an adventure and it was fun. But I remember the one time, and I still have the page, and I was looking for it before before this. And it was a page of jokes that Clinton told me. And they <laughs> no. were the funniest damn jokes I'd ever heard. Right. And they're so stupid, but they're just they're funny. Jokes. Oh, yeah. And I wish I could find it. But talk about inspiration. And what was that? 50 years ago, and I still have that sheet of paper, and I still look at those jokes occasionally, <laughs> and they still make me laugh. And so you just have to find inspiration in the smallest, oddest of experiences. And almost like every experience can be channeled into something else. Positive it doesn't have to be a negative experience. That's too easy. That's kind of easy to just wallow in your pity and pour me another drink kind of thing, you know, which is <laughs> also one of my posters. Right. And I've, <laughs> I've been making these weird posters for over 40 years, and it's these clips and little sayings and expressions that family says or friends or something. And it's a matter of making a personal experience, sharing it with the public. And I live in Brooklyn. I live in a, a place called Park Slope in Brooklyn. Very nice uh, area. I really love it. And I was lucky enough to buy a house when it was affordable back in the 90s. But in the front of the house has these big plate glass windows. And I always put one of my posters in the front window. So great. 
And then I love to sit out in the morning with my dog, Nana Banana Potato, and uh, have a cup of coffee and just greet people. Old school Brooklyn, you sit outside and you talk to people. Hey, get off my lawn. What up? Hey, yeah. the kids. You know. But no, it's <laughs> fun just talking to people as they walk by. And invariably, nine times out of ten, people will stop and say, oh, are you the guy who makes those posters? I've been looking at those posters for 20 years and I love them. And, oh my you know, of course, God. there's always somebody coming by going, what are you doing? I hate those things. Right. You know, so negative. <laughs> and I'm like, no, they're not. You right. know, you're projecting your weirdness into these things. Right. But it's about sharing with the community also. That is another way to be creative because as you share, people share back with you. And hopefully that exchange feeds your creative impulse and not squash it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know that for me, when what you're talking about is this kind of sharing back and forth, because when I did finally get clean and sober in the late 70s, what I noticed in the rooms of AA at that time, that's how I got sober, how funny everything was. The whole meeting was laughing, you know, about how crazy we were. (laughs) Which is a trick. You have to know to laugh at yourself. You have to get to the point where you just, you can't take yourself too seriously. And and I've always said that. I'm a serious artist and I deal with serious matters, but I try not to take myself too seriously. Try to pull that big stick out of my ass. And, you know, at the art world, you know, the, art world is pretty stuffy and pretty yes. serious at times. It, it can be a lot of fun. But I've always thought that the first step is to have a sense of humor about everything and also about yourself. And I think that's a very important healing process to understand that it's okay to laugh and it's okay to laugh at yourself and it's okay to laugh at others. Right. It's okay. <laughs> not in a mean way. I'm not, I'm not saying to be vicious or character assassination or character <laughs> assassinating or anything like that. Just find humor in things. God has a sense of humor. Look at the giraffe and the platypus for God's sakes. You know? <laughs> and the platypus. What's up with that? Yeah. The platypus really. Another thing I was thinking about when I was talking to you is that when we were younger, we had a show and you were saying, I'm going to have a show. We're going to show these paintings that we did, you and your gang of artist friends. And you know, I was just like, Lori Lee, you're going to do one. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do one. I'm not going to do one. You were resistant. <laughs> you think? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But I, I understand it's a challenge. People don't like to get out of their comfort zone. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's uncomfortable. You know, I have to say a lot of the stuff that I did, you, of course, helped me with it. I wasn't going out solo. You were really helping me a lot with each piece I did. And I think about those pieces that we did of how crazy that was in my life that even happened. Didn't we do it at Trinity University? And I said, oh, yeah, I had some pieces at a show. And they're like, what? But it opened the door for me to be able to go into that place within myself when things were so heavy a lot of the time during my life. I don't know how I made it through my 20s and 30s. I really don't. 
I don't know how I did either. Who you know, but knows? We did. we did. We had creativity and we had laughter. And we had the absurd looking at things like, oh, wow, that's weird <laughs> and kind of funny, you know? Well, we had friends. We had uh, support structure, usually in areas where you didn't least expect it. Exactly. From strangers, from relatives you can't stand or, or that sort of thing. I mean, it's weird where you get that food for thought or that nourishment of the soul, which is what this podcast is all about. It's not just about physical food, but spiritual food. What is the food? Exactly. Yeah, what is the nourishment? And sometimes it's junk food. It's not just about getting inspiration from an established teacher or something. As I said, I got inspiration from my mean-spirited brother who threw all my art away in a very vicious, vindictive way, but I still found humor in it, and I still found a way to sidestep it and make something creative out of it. Otherwise, you just stew in it, and you just get angry, and you just... Right. And what good is that? The whole reason I did it is because I was tired of being angry, because it's just, it's so negative, and it's just like, oh, God, it's such a waste of time. If you would like to have a weekly newsletter... That has some information about recovery or what people are doing in the world or what I'm doing in the world and just information about how to recover and what to do and how do we have faith and trust and love and openness to our own selves. You can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Storygram Network. I joined Beyond Hunger about three years ago after my own eating disorder recovery. I've been with the Peer Ed program for over a year. I have been a peer educator for a few weeks now. Beyond Hunger is an amazing organization in which high schoolers like me get to go to schools across the Bay Area and educate teens and students on mental health, body image, intuitive eating. And I joined because it really helps people. I joined the program because I believe that the information we provide people my age is very important. Beyond Hunger has allowed me to connect with the youth in my community and reaffirm to myself what I know is true. It has given me an opportunity to educate others and inform others around my age. Um, and I just think it's a really wonderful program. Because I want to teach other teens what I never learned. Appreciating your body through its ups and downs, navigating di diet culture, and learning about intuitive emotions and hunger. And I felt that it was super important to continue to make change in the community. My name is Laura Lee Rourke, and I am one of the founders of Beyond Hunger. My business partner, Carol Normandy, and I founded it in 1988. But for the last 25 years, we've been going into schools and talking about the issue of eating disorders and body hatred. We um, train young women to go in with us, peer to peer, student to student, and it is a wonderful program. Please give generously. Thank you. Any feeling is we're meant to experience and then let it go. We forget that 
last part, <laughs> letting it go. You know, we like to stay in whatever it is. So I want to always be happy. Good luck with that. I think you need to take a lot of medication <laughs> then because <laughs> it's not, you're going to have anger. You're going to have fear. You're going to have overwhelm. You're going to have everything. But the trick is to let it go and to channel it somewhere. And that's what I feel that you represent to me so well is that, you know, I can just think of so many different things that even after we hadn't seen each other for a really long time and I came to New York and the first thing you said is, we look great, (laughs) sort of like for our age. (laughs) I was like, yes, we do. I didn't say so myself. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was very sweet. And Clinton was all grown up and he just fell right in line. In years, the last time I saw him, he was two feet high. I know. The next time I see him, he's he's over six feet. I was like, what happened? And it was like, nothing happened to him. He just grew up and it was all natural, but it was kind of a shock. It was like, oh my God, you are a big guy now. You're a man. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Which that is happened. very sweet. Yeah. Anyway, so tell me, what are you doing now? What's going on in your life now? Kind of more the same. I'm officially retired now. You know, I ran a nice gallery. It wasn't my gallery, but it was the Tony Shafrazi gallery that I helped run and manage for over 30 years in New York. And it was very nice. It was a wonderful experience until it wasn't. But we championed Jean-Michel Basquiat. Wow. And Keith Haring. I've got a Keith Haring t-shirt on right now I'm wearing and uh, you know we showed uh, Warhol and we showed Picasso we had the Francis Bacon estate Kitty Scharf and Donald Batcher a lot lot of Paul McCartney artists we didn't show Paul McCartney but he was there I know you have a great story about him because we were a fun gallery and showing a lot of art that was new and very exciting at the time we had a lot of interesting people from all over the world come to the gallery Creative people, rich people, talented people, those are the people that can afford and create and create their own art, but they're the ones that collect it. So we met David Bowie and Paul McCartney and Mick Jagger and Bono. You know, a lot of people, the Red Hot Chili Peppers would come in. Yoko, right? Yeah, Yoko Ono. Yeah, Yoko Ono would come in, and I actually got to go to the Dakota and install a Basquiat painting oh that she had God, years ago. So cool. She was very nice. I always liked Yoko. And she's a great artist. She was a member of Fluxus, so which is kind of a neo-Dada group. And she was very influential. That's how John Lennon fell in love with her, because she was very positive. Everyone was saying, no, no, no. And Yoko was saying yes. And there's that whole story where John Lennon climbed up a ladder and opened a little box, and it said yes inside the box. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of kind of silly and but very positive. And that was something that really affected John Lennon. But anyway, I got to go to the Dakota and install this Basquiat painting. And then she said, Hey, would you like a tour of the Dakota? And I'm like, No, nah, I gotta go. Yeah. No, gotta okay. Go. <laughs> Let me see. <laughs> no, yes. I'm busy. Yeah. No, I was like, Yes, of course. I'd love to. Thank you. And so she showed me around and there were drawings of John Lennon's framed on the walls. And then she said, Oh, would you like to see John Lennon's white? Grand piano. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> busy. I've seen yeah. a grand piano before. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> no, and I was like, please. So took me into the room where the 
piano was. It was really sweet that so that great. she shared all that with me. She didn't have to do that. No, you know? so but she beautiful. knew I was appreciative. I remember sitting in a cab with. I think she she drove me back to the gallery afterwards. Going that her driver. Yeah, <laughs> <It> drove me. <laughs> right. But she was in the car, and her boyfriend at the time was Sam Havatoy, who was a Hungarian artist who ran a gallery in Hungary called Gallery 56. And I asked him, so why do you call it that? And he said, that was the year Russia invaded Hungary. Oh, God. I I had to apologize for my ignorance. "Eh, I'm American. I don't know anything about another country. Yeah, I'm not really tuned into other countries' history. (laughs) uh, I'm not tuned into my own country's history. No, I'm a kid, but... Not really. So it was really nice. And but I remember Yoko asked me, she said, when is your birthday? And I said, October 11th. And she said, oh, John's is October 9th. And I said, I know. And I said, my son is October 8th. And she said, oh, Libra. So she, we had this connect, you know, because she, so yeah, she liked Libras. And that was fun. So we had this real wonderful experience once Yoko Ono and Sam Havitor came into the gallery and they were carrying this little box. This was sometime later. And they came up to me and I saw Yoko and I was like, oh my God, Yoko, this is so weird. Just yesterday I was going through some files and I found a picture of her son, Sean, when Sean, he was very small and they used to come to the gallery and Sean was a kind of a interesting kid. He was sometimes <laughs> at, at the time he had toothpicks and he was like just dropping toothpicks all over the gallery. I think he was being an artist, like his mom. Yeah. Or like his dad, being very artistic. And he was a very artistic child and still is. He's a musician and everything. And I said, oh, I found this picture of Sean. And I set it on my desk saying, next time you come into the gallery, I'll give it to you. And then the next day you come in. And I said, that's really magical. So I gave her the picture. And then she looked at it. Oh, wow, this is great. And so she turned to Sam Havitor and they whispered. And they turned around and they said, oh, we're here. Every weekend we come into the town and we go to this one restaurant that we really like. And we have lunch. And then we buy a little chocolate cake. It's the most delicious cake. And then we play a little game where we go around to all the different galleries and then we find somebody to give the cake to. Oh my God. <laughs> serving of this cake. And today we're going to give it to you. Oh my and I God. Went, oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. And then she said, it's chocolate and chocolate is so much better than sex. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, kind of. <laughs> it depends on the chocolate. <laughs> or the sex. <laughs> or the sex, exactly. So that was really nice. So then they left, and then I just I shared the cake with everyone in the gallery. And it's just these really fun little so magical sweet. experiences that are yeah. just, you just don't expect it. I had no idea that was going to happen. No. And it's just a lovely memory of mine. Of Yoko. Yeah. And, like, you know, Yoko, she broke up the Beatles. I'm like, no, she didn't. Stop. Well, Stop. whatever. Everybody has their own, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, I think about things that, that you said or I said, and I still remember them. And you tell me that no story how about. Hard you try to huh? No matter how hard you tried to forget. Right. No, no. But <laughs> you just told me this like little throwaway story one time about. Paul McCartney coming in and you said, you're my greatest fan. (laughs) He just said, yes, I am. That's what he said. He said, really? Oh, yeah, you're right. I am. (laughs) So cute. I've met so many 
stars and billionaires and creative people throughout my life. But meeting Paul McCartney was, oh my God. It was like meeting an old family member that you've know. known about your whole life and you know you everything about, about them, them but yeah. you've never met them. And then finally you get to meet them and you're just so in awe. And the first thing that comes out of your mind <laughs> and out of your yeah. mouth yeah. is, oh, Paul McCartney, you're my biggest fan. <laughs> 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 he just looked at me like, okay. So this is a perfect way to come back to you of that, that really, that everybody can enjoy art if they allow themselves to do that. And everyone can go to their creative side, no matter, even if it's not going to be in a gallery or it's not going to, you're not going to make a record or write a book that's a bestseller. Really it's okay. Happens. You can, you okay. can be. Okay. That's not the point of making it. The that's point right. is to have fun with it and to enjoy yourself and to make something that you want to make. And so it's a blue bonnet painting or a clown or a puppy or whatever. It doesn't right. matter. On velvet. <laughs> On velvet. Yeah. You know, I have a great Jesus velvet painting down in my bathroom. And nice. There's a uh, truck <laughs> coming. I bought it on the street for like $10 or something. And it's a, like a semi-truck, right? And Jesus is up above it, blessing the truck. And I call it my, because uh, it's a, a semi, right, truck. And so I call it my semi-religious painting. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny. That is black velvet. I love it. It's one of my favorites. It's fine. Yeah. I know there's a great comedian, Kathy Madigan, who says that she just knows that she's going to die and she's going to go to heaven and She's going to see God and he's going to have a, or she is going to have a hat on that says, who farted? And <laughs> she just God is going to have a sense of humor. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, I hope so. I think God has a sense of humor. I hope so. Has, has yeah, to. Yeah, has to. Has to. Yeah, yes. Thank goodness we all have it. But anyway, I have to go and I just. What? I know. I know. Just started this party. (laughs) I'm so, so glad that you came on the show and how wonderful. And where can people see your art? Do you have a website? I do. Yeah, just georgehorner.com. And I'm on Instagram, George Horner. I post things all the time. I I hate social media, but it's okay. It's a way to get the work out there. I don't post it. Too many pictures of my dog or what I just ate or the rainbows or whatever. But I try to keep it to just my art. Okay. So, so no pictures of banana, nana, oh, not a banana potato. potato. Oh, no, there's lots of pictures of not a banana. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so thank you so much. Loved talking to you. We'll talk again. Maybe not with a whole podcast wrapped around us. What? Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. That's the only reason I'm talking. Okay. No. <laughs> Thank you. No, Thank anytime, you so much. Anytime. You're very welcome. I loved it. Love you. And keep feeding your soul, please. You as well, my friend. Love you back. Okay. Love you more. Bye. <laughs> Love you more. <laughs> Love you more. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com.
Thanks. Thanks.